0: And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. Joby Crover is preaching today on the book of Job, focusing on Job chapter 28, The Way of Wisdom.
1: If you would stand with me, if you are able, we're going to start by reading Job 28, 28. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. All right, you can have a seat. That's super simple, huh? A little small, little bit. That's all, that's all there is to it. Uh, as I look back on my 47 years, I feel I've had an aspiration to be wise in how I did things. I'm not always sure that I did it perfectly or I am got it figured out, of course, um, or I'm achieving it all the time, but I felt like this is a super important aspect for a good life. I would look to the examples of others as I grew up and feel impacted by those that chose well or had wise words to pass along. It seemed like they had more peace in their life. I would look to the, uh, but I think my actual driving agenda was a logical thought that if I am wise, I could avoid the many pitfalls and limit suffering and gain success in my life. Um, "'I pursued this so much in my college years "'that I prayed often for God "'to give me wisdom like Solomon. "'I figured if he asked for it and the Lord blessed him, "'maybe if I ask for it, the Lord will bless me "'and grant it to me as well. "'As I sat waiting and waiting, "'a revelation finally came to me. "'God pressed on my mind. "'Hey, I did grant it to this guy named Solomon.' And then he wrote a ton of it down. <laughs> Maybe you should go read it. And the Lord then pressed on me a first little aspect of wisdom. You might have to put some small amount of effort into it and not just sit on your keister waiting for him to do something for you. Uh, hi, as uh, Joel said, my name is Joby Crover, and I'm privileged to be here this morning to share a few thoughts about wisdom that I've had this past year, um, Things that I have been pondering probably more in the quiet spaces of my life. Um, and when I have been pondering them, I've found that they truly do give a lot of comfort, but not in all of these, the ways that I want to receive it. Um, moving on, one of my hobbies, I have lots. I tend to like to do lots of things and be a doer. Um, it's one of my blessings and Achilles heels in my life. I want to do it all. Uh, but one of the fun things I get to do is fly airplanes around. So I'm a pilot. I get to jump up in the sky and have a sense of freedom. I think I've taken quite a few people here already up in the plane, and you're most likely on a short list of getting to go sometime in the future. Um, But uh, it's super fun. I could talk about that all day long. Uh, Flying an airplane is is a great piece of my life. Um, But I just simply bring it up because I want to paint an analogy between that and hopefully where we will go this morning. So I have three airplane graphics. Uh, The first one, what does it take to keep an airplane in the sky? Lift, and what's the opposite? Gravity, super simple, that's all there is. We just have to balance those two forces and boom, we're in the air. Is that everything? No, we all know there's a little bit more, right? So I got another graphic. Oh, we need something to make that plane go. We need a little thrust, and so some kind of propulsion system to put the thing up in the air. And of course, with that, there's drag. That's the opposite force for all you engineers out there. We have to balance things, or physics 101 people, as you might be taking that soon. Um, All forces need to balance. But again, is that all of the Reality to flying an airplane or an airplane to work? We all will answer, "No. There's a bunch more. So I have another graphic. <laughs> so can you see all that? All right, so we have the lifting force, we have dynamic equations, we have uh, calculations. So we know engineer nerds out there that we can calculate the crud out of all these different aspects and start to understand what it takes. We start with statics and then we go to dynamics because we know, hey, we're just not hovering, we're actually moving. So there's lots of stuff happening. And then there's even things beyond that. There's avionics systems and structural systems, hydraulics, electrical, uh, life support, all kinds of stuff. So we know there is a profound amount of things to have to figure out in order to understand how an airplane flies. However, none of it breaks the first piece. Lift must equal gravity. That is still true. We can learn and learn and learn and learn, but it never breaks that first piece. All right. So in a similar way, let's move to the wisdom books. I have seen over this year that, hey, there are three wisdom books in the Old Testament, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And they kind of come together in a fun trifecta where they have a different perspective on wisdom, and they all come to one simple central conclusion. Um, Joel uses the word haga often, uh, which is that chewing or murmuring, like a a cow chewing on its cud. These these things are good for each one of these books, and you have to put put them all together. Um, But I want to point out what I think the central theme is, and then... We will unpack uh, most of mostly Job, but we'll see an aspect of Proverbs, an aspect of Ecclesiastes, and then we'll focus in on Job. So, what is that central theme? I'm going to tell you what it is, and then I guess we could be done, just like lift and 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 uh, weight. But we know there's more, so we'll we'll work on a few more things. And if you heard it right at the beginning, I gave you the quiz, the answer to the quiz. Um, and here it is. So let's look at Proverbs nine ten. And it says this. This is just the first part of Proverbs nine ten. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All right. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And we can jump to Job one one. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. That's also repeated three more times in Job, but we will just let that be. You can read Job on your own to find them all. Um, Do you see it? Super simple, right? The way to wisdom is to fear the Lord. Like airplanes... Lift and weight, that's all there is to it. Wisdom is in fearing the Lord. But what does that truly mean? How does that connect to that airplane graphic? Seems like I don't got all the pieces there. Uh, we actually know there's more to it, but how much more? Um, I'm sure that in your own life you have all experienced the ups and downs that make you feel like there's a lot more. It's more complicated Sometimes you're on track making great choices, and life all seems to return a grand gesture of good things. Sometimes you feel like you're working hard toward good goals, then life gives you a bunch of turbulence. Sometimes we look at other passengers and see that they are experiencing the exact same turbulence, but somehow, because they're in first class, it's going a lot better for them. (laughs) And sometimes we are just making bad or even terrible choices, but we get away with it. We're staying, we're keeping that airplane in the air. And of course, we all know or have experienced a terrible outcome from a poor choice of our own making. And, you know, we somewhat expected it, but it still stinks. What is happening? Why does this all seem so random? Do I need to work harder? Is it that there is... It is just the beginning of wisdom, and I need to learn more. How do I keep God's commandments more diligently? How many commandments do I have to keep? What if I miss some of them? How do I keep going even when it's not so much fun? It's just full of turbulence. So I got one more graphic. So this next graphic is my attempt to blend the two together. So what I want you to see is that when you look at Proverbs... It tends to be a lifting force, this piece that takes you up, um, a cause and effect type relationship. If I am wise, then it will be good. It's somewhat of an ideal uh, piece. It seems to be missing something. So then, if you turn to Ecclesiastes, you tend to see the opposite this weighing down, this gravity of life that seems always present no matter how hard we work against it and sometimes a sense that it is all meaningless anyway, so let's just let gravity win. But as we focus in on Job this morning, I want you to show you that there is one more force, this propelling force of wisdom that keeps you moving through it all. So that's the graphic I want you to keep in mind as we continue on uh, talking through the rest of this. So. Continuing with the airplane theme, we're going to take ourselves up to the 30,000-foot view, and we're going to look at Proverbs real quick, then Ecclesiastes. So Proverbs, perhaps, is the book that most personifies wisdom. If I ask you, who is wisdom, you probably have an answer to that in your mind. Anybody? A female voice, do you hear it? Similar to Lady Liberty. It sets up wisdom as a female calling loud to all that dwell on the earth. Let's look at Proverbs 1:20 20 through 22. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. "How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple?" The beginning of Proverbs, we see that it actually states that the purpose of the book is for instruction, knowledge, wise dealing, justice, equity, prudence, and a list of other things. Um, So it has a purpose. We attribute most of Proverbs to Solomon, and there's some other additional voices mixed in. The first nine chapters are poetic, uh, and they give insights and warnings to stay on course, to not follow folly. The latter chapters are a plethora of riddle-like sound bites of wisdom. Most of them that you have to think about a lot to get them, some of them that are super clear, but it's that dwelling in them that Proverbs is inviting you into. And as I said, we started the year off back in January. Go back and listen to those sermons. You'll hear more about the deeper parts of Proverbs. But, Proverbs at the surface comes at us as a list of wise actions and results, or typical actions and results. Uh, It's that giant kind of list of cause and effect. And maybe if we study them well, implement them, then only good will come about. We have that lifting force. When we turn to Ecclesiastes, we find something with an opposite feel. It does not work to explain the joy and sorrow of life. It merely gives acknowledgement that life does not seem under our control and bad things happen. The weighing down of life. The most often voiced statement is that all of life's pursuits are meaningless or mere vanity. In Hebrew, it's the word hevel. To me if you just skim-read Ecclesiastes, it's a total downer. You come away pretty darn depressed. So just so don't, don't skim-read it. Dive into it when, when you're going to do it. Um, but there is far more depth to Ecclesiastes. But for my argument today, I'm going to just say it's the weight that's bringing it down. Um, we're going to, like Joel said, next two weeks, dive into Ecclesiastes deeper. Um, I'll just say this. Um, the book actually causes us to start to search for something. And we'll, I'll just that carrot, and we'll get to hear more about that in the next two weeks. All right, moving to Job. Job uh, is the focus of our discussion, and we come to find something quite unique, a little bit different. This book does not seem to focus on the lifting, does not the good circumstances of life or the weighing down, the bad stuff, but on this third force that's required to move through it. It urges us to grab hold of or find a propulsion to keep it all going. It does not discount anything of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. It just seems to invite us into something maybe a bit different. Small little historical soundbite on Job. Uh, Unlike Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which are all attributed to Solomon or Israelite kings in his likeness, Job is not Hebrew at all. I found this kind of interesting when I figured this out. In fact, none of the characters are. Uh, We find Job, a man from the land of Uz. Does anybody know where Uz is? No, we don't know. And his three friends come together and end up in this long discourse. Uh, It's actually very amazing to find the wisdom of this book woven into the core of the Hebrew scriptures. It is one of the trifecta of these wisdom literatures. So much so that as you read through it, you will find direct quotes that come in and out of all three books plus Psalms. Um, To me, this is a testimony in itself to the unchanging character of our God and how he is working in all peoples throughout all history. Back to our summary of Job. Uh, I find it almost impossible to skim-read. So, like, you could skim-read some of Proverbs. You could skim-read Ecclesiastes. Like I said, it's a downer. Um, But if you try to skim-read Job, it just doesn't work. Um, The first two chapters are easy to follow, and that's kind of what we remember as well as the last chapter. But it gets confusing super fast, um, and I think it's on purpose. The lengthy discussion, arguments, and rhetoric in its 42 chapters draw us into something more, more of a journey than a destination, a journey that is worth traveling. What we find at the beginning of the story is some sort of viewport into the heavenly realm where God and Satan have a discussion about Job and his good character. Satan challenges God that Job only fears the Lord because the Lord has blessed Job with earthly abundance. So for a reason Never explained nor seems kind at all, God allows Satan to remove all things from Job except his own life. He loses all his children, all his possessions, and all his health. He is in absolute, total devastation. Absolute, total, earthly devastation. His friends then come to him to comfort him. It says they can't even recognize him because of his health has been stripped away so bad. They don't even know what he looks like anymore. He doesn't look like himself. And then it says they sat with him for seven days and seven nights in the pain with no words. It's a profound testimony, an example of deep friendship. When one of our own friends is low and hurting, how often do we go and sit with them, no talking, just present, in the pain for a long, long time. We tend to want to fix things, but Job's friends came and just sat with him for seven days. So, side note, but it's profound, profound piece of what it means to come alongside. After these seven days, Job then opens his mouth and a grand discussion ensues, a back and forth with his three friends about how Job says he has done no wrong and his friends insist he must have done something maybe he just doesn't know what he did they all say things that are correct and some things that kind of miss it job goes through a whole plethora of emotions hatred of his life sorrow a defense of his actions but ultimately he desires to confront the lord himself and ask for an accounting of his situation the text Even tells us that he did not do anything to deserve his circumstances. Wasn't he, after all, blameless? He might have been blameless in what happened to him, but he's still an imperfect human. This is, again, the argument his friends challenge him with. You had to do something wrong, Job. Job faced this really hard part of all the wisdom of good living, it tends to sound like a promise. For we see these wisdoms not actually always working out in the real world. They are, and we have a ton of examples in your own life. I'm going to grab one and try to take us through that from Proverbs. So Proverbs 22, 6 says this. Uh, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Doesn't that sound like a promise? A promise of good parenting? If we love our children and strive to instruct them in the Lord, won't they then, of course, choose a path to follow Christ? But we have all seen the answer that this is not always true. Some of you find that you have experienced that with your own children in the past or are struggling through that currently, that maybe your children don't find the Lord central to your lives, that they might seem to be running in the opposite direction. But Lord, I know... You are a good and caring God, and you care deeply for my child. Why then must this struggle be present? Why does my hopefully God-honoring parenting seem to not be working? Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Or maybe I'm not a good parent at all. It can feel very discouraging. Job faced this. He deeply cared for his children. It says right in chapter 1, He continually interceded on their behalf before the Lord, yet they all still perished. It is with this that a very difficult reality is presented. God is God, and we are not. Paul writes about this in the book to the Romans. Romans 9, 20-21. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God, Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make you out of the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? This is a very difficult truth to ponder. The story ends with God answering Job and it knocks him down to an absolute humble place. The Lord clearly explains how vast he is How he set up all things and asked if Job was there for creation, had anything to do with it, or has the power to contend with the magnitude of it in any way. Job then repents, and God graciously restores to him all things twofold. What did it mean for Job to fear the Lord? I think the best translation that we could take uh, of fear of the Lord is actually reverent awe. It has the feeling of looking into the stars and seeing the bigness of it all in relation to the smallness of yourself. It carries a logical process of seeing from an outside perspective your true position in relation to an almighty God, then humbly being before him without turning away. We got to recently visit Crater Lake as a family and got to have some of that awe experience. Uh, If you stand on the rim looking down at Crater Lake, if anybody's been there, I'm sure many of you have been there, you look at it that, and it is absolutely stunningly beautiful. I mean, it it just doesn't even look real as you're standing down there looking at it. And then that night was the highlight of the climax of the Perseus meteor shower. So up on the rim, we laid on our backs, and looked up at the stars and watched these meteors going through the sky with the backdrop of the Milky Way. Not much else can explain the awe of creation. And as I you reflect on that in comparison, like I am tiny to Crater Lake. It's like 4.0 trillion gallons of water. Uh, and I am that much smaller to the galaxy, and yet there is a God Who created it all? If we jump back in Job to chapter 9, Job exclaims a very similar revelation and realization about his place before the Lord. He also points out a need. In referring to the Lord in Job 9, 32, and 33, he says this For he, the Lord, is not a man as I am that I might answer him. That we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Job asks this question early in his discourse How is it ever possible to contend or connect with the Lord Almighty with his grievance? And what's interesting is he makes this revelation pretty early on in the 42 chapters. But it does not sway or stop him from continuing to dialogue through all of his emotions. Just knowledge about the Lord itself or something that's important or something that is, gives you perspective does not necessarily mean that the rest of our hearts and our actions follow right away. Uh, hopefully it comes together. But we see in Job that he has lots more things to talk about with his friends But isn't it that it's the process that's important? That's what we're traveling through most of the time. It takes this effort to continue on. Even though we know it, we still have to work it out. It just doesn't mean it comes like that. If we jump to chapter 32, we see a new character show up. His name is Elihu, and I think he has some wisdom to add in. So Job finishes speaking, him and his three friends are dialoguing for 30-some chapters. And then all of a sudden, there's this guy named Elihu. And I don't know if he's there the whole time. I mean, he seems like he's there for part of the time. So was he there after day eight or there the whole time? I don't know. It doesn't start out saying it's Job and his four friends, it's Job and his three friends, the three friends have a discussion, and then this guy shows up. You guys can read it and maybe have some better understanding uh, uh, for me. But at any rate, it's very fascinating. Uh, he is apparently younger than the rest of them. And he makes a profound statement, which I'll read. And then he goes on for five chapters explaining the true character of God. You can read that on your own. So this is what he said. In it says, And Elihu, the son of Barchel the Buzite, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, Let days speak, and many years teach wisdom. And here's the highlight part. But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. It is not the old who are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right. I think Elihu hits at the root of wisdom. It is not due to years of knowledge. It is something far deeper. And here we might just start to see a very interesting thing about wisdom itself. We assume the opposite of wisdom is folly. A lot of Proverbs would lead us into thinking that. Uh, it also somehow gives our own intellect some credibility. I don't want to be the foolish one, so I will learn and study and think about something in order to be wise. While this all has aspects of truth, we are really just describing applied knowledge and not wisdom itself. We do learn from our mistakes, and life experiences, of course, give much to offer, but the truth is we all know Many adults that act like children, and honestly, we all act like children and have foolhardy actions. So I propose that the opposite of wisdom is wisdom. So we have wisdom from God, and then we just have simply wisdom from man. One is perfect, the other is deeply flawed. We can all look at the news or any social media post or political rhetoric, and you quickly see that the wisdom of humanity is nothing more than folly. We desperately need the world to seek God's wisdom and not wisdom from man. We can get lost in trying to avoid folly by trying to stick to wisdom, but it can be subtle. Sometimes we can actually be going down the path of wisdom from God and then trick ourselves into thinking we have it all figured out, and bam, we make the foolish turn and follow our own wisdom that we come up with in our own self. I think Elihu correctly identifies that it is the Spirit of the Lord who gives wisdom. Nothing else will achieve it. All right, so... That's the bulk of the sermon and the unpacking of Job. And you probably are like, hey, we haven't even read the passage yet. So I did that on purpose. We're going to do that at the, we're doing that now. So I'm going to invite Justin and Hillary up. And we're going to conclude the sermon by reading Job 28. And I want you to hear something about what Job describes of of wisdom. There are three pieces to it there's humanity's search for value there is the value of wisdom itself and then where to find wisdom i want you to close your eyes i, I really want this hopefully to work or, or sink in so i want you to to close your eyes and just try to listen to justin and hillary read this passage and and
0: let it let it hit go ahead justin thank you job 28 Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out the farthest limit, the ore, in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread and underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires. It has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. 12 through 19. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, It is not in me, and the sea says, It is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels or fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where, then, does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and Death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And And he said said to man, man, Behold, the the fear fear of the Lord, Lord, that that is wisdom, and and to turn away from from evil is understanding.
1: Did you hear those three parts? Humankind is relentless in its pursuit of personal gain and capable of mighty acts. However, none of it is in comparison to the value of wisdom. For wisdom is more valuable than all things found on or in the earth. The path to wisdom is held by God himself, but the grace is the Lord has given himself for us. For in Christ we have been redeemed and given access to the Lord. The arbiter Job understood he desperately needed is a free gift we have a one more wisdom book that we talked about a few months ago in James. And James 1.5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Like I said about myself, I desired wisdom in order to pursue a safe and prosperous life. But the truth is, wisdom is not a destination of balancing the ups and downs it's actually the focus on the power that is providing the propulsion to our flight. It's the steady journey of reverent awe of a true, true, true wisdom, the Lord himself. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that um, you are a God that gives graciously and generously, though we don't understand all of the power and decisions that you make you have it woven somehow into an amazing tapestry to bring all things back to your glory, to redeem as many as possible, to draw them back into relationship with you. May we seek not our own wisdom, but yield and understand that it is only by your spirit that wisdom is given to us. And just like James says, you are willing and gracious to give it when we ask.
0: Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.